Welcome to episode 23 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And this is an Aaron Sorkin showcase based around Moneyball, which received six nominations, but no wins at the 84th Academy Awards. Aaron Sorkin has been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay three times and took the win for Social Network at the 83rd Academy Awards. He's an absolute monster when it comes to writing, and he may add another nomination this spring. Aaron Sorkin, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you, Connor? Uh, very intense walks down a hallway with very uh, <laughs> intense dialogue between at least two, maybe three characters with <laughs> high stakes in the moment. <laughs> Probably a CEO or a president involved. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I cannot wait to talk more and more about Aaron Sorkin for the next hour or so. Uh, Moneyball is the focus. Yes. But Sorkin, Sorkin has now written nine films. All of them have something to offer. Uh, the first one being A Few Good Men. My Lord. That's where we're going to start. We're going to go ahead and go down the line of Aaron Sorkin's career as far as his writing. Uh, he's also directed a couple movies. Molly's, uh, Molly's Game and The Trial of Chicago 7. Obviously wrote those as well. The dude is uber talented. And I am so glad we start with A Few Good Men because you just saw it for the first time. I did, yes. And I was in within two minutes it's such yeah. a monumental courtroom drama incredible performances unbelievable story and uh just a just a mind blower for a first film like for his <laughs> debut it was this i mean that's yeah incredible. yeah it's, it's it's extremely rare to have you know this this duo just pop right away you know rob reiner already had proved himself as a director you know but to find this Sorkin who's like 30 years old, this movie uh, was a play before his own play that he wrote in his 20s uh, while he's going to Syracuse, while he's on cocaine, <laughs> while he's uh, uh, having a lot of issues with drugs and alcohol and just writing like a fiend. He does that, turns into a film. Unbelievable performances from Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, and, and Tom Cruise just lights out stuff from everybody. And... I think it's one of the most important movies of the nineties, like American films of the nineties. And one day we'll just do a, an episode based around it here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jack Nicholson's performance alone, just a monumental piece of shit in a very powerful position who believes himself to be untouchable. And, you know, he, Cuba is his playground. He, he runs this joint. He can do whatever he wants. And, you know, to see him, go down is so satisfying like that whole the scene where uh tom cruise deposes jack nicholson is it's maybe my favorite courtroom scene of all time now that was unreal (laughs) and and you know it's coming you know it's coming because you've seen the 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 you know the shots of their faces back and forth as they're talking as they're yelling over one another which becomes one of Sorkin's trademarks, right? As time has, has gone along. It's just people yelling really important things over one another. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so entertaining when you have two guys who are locked in and get it. And you have this script that's just a knockout. And that, that really provides a lot of gray, not so much black and white, but gray, where you're kind of like, I, I don't really know where to go here. Uh, when you're talking about these two, two guys who, who, who killed one of their, essentially one of their coworkers, right? These two guys and they're on trial. And now you're upset with Jack Nicholson. You're like, Oh shit. You know, it really stirs you up. And it obviously, obviously stirs Tom Cruise up. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? <laughs> and and I, I just, I adore those, those two monumental scenes to me are the, the first time we see Cruz and Nicholson meet and he, he makes fun of his, makes fun of his uniform, you know, and the all white. And then of course, yes, in the courtroom when it, they just go toe to toe. And it's, it's rare that you get two guys. I, I don't know who's better in that scene. I really don't. <laughs> I really can't. I, you know, I want to lean towards Jack cause that's probably the easier answer. He's the one who says you can't handle the truth. But Tom Cruise, man, Tom Cruise is, is, is the one taking the punches and then throwing them right back at him. You know, uh, and what the guy's got, what, you know, 20 years on him? Come on. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I think that that movie um, has higher stakes than a lot of Sorkin's movies. I think, in, you know, in this movie, especially in that scene, you've got an inexperienced lawyer in his first actual trial deposing a united states marines colonel who like they say in the movie if tom cruise fucks this up he will be court-martialed yeah and he goes for it anyway and he just you know did you order it you're goddamn right i did like just that whole just god damn I, I don't know what else i can say it's just so lights out and you need to see it to really understand how powerful of a scene it is for sure. That's, that's the best way of putting it, right? Is you, you know, it's coming, but it doesn't matter. It's about the process and it's a, you know, it's a chunk of a movie. It's like two hours and 20 minutes and just every second counts. Sorkin, I think one of his, his, his best traits there, uh, as we see at the beginning of his career with a few good men is something as simple as the first time we see Tom Cruise, Demi Moore meet and Tom Cruise is hitting baseballs and the cadence with which he is speaking and the words he's using is chef's kiss, Aaron Sorkin. Like, Oh my God, you know, like how do you properly put these things, you know, on, on a paper to make sense for the screen? Have you tried to do that before? Have you tried to be like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, would this make sense on a screen? You're like, fuck, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, 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 he's a, he's a, he's a madman and he he understands that there's a slight difference in real life and film right there's a slight difference and there's a slight you got you got to heighten it just just a bit but it's never too much to where you're just like this is stupid you know it, he never really goes there for me anyway and a few good men, a few good men is 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 quite possibly his best script <laughs> it it's it's bonkers i think that what sorkin is the best at is he's He's amazing at finding the magic in everyday life in the little, like in the way that we act in the, in the situations we actually do find ourselves in. He turns that into something, something amazing, something magical. And he's done that with every script he's ever done. He has made movies about Facebook and baseball. Interesting as hell. That is, that is a superpower. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think, that point is something that we're going to point out as, as time goes, he is clearly to me, as his career has gone on, you know, he's written nine films and the ones that stand out to me are the ones where he's paired with a really skilled director, like, like David Fincher, right. Or Bennett Miller, who we're going to be talking about with Moneyball and Rob Reiner here for a few good men. And he's able to just write and kind of challenge the director. Uh, I, you know, I know he's still new to it, directing Molly's game and trial, but, but I, I think he needs more work. Uh, I think when he's paired with somebody, it's there. It's primed for some magic. True. 
true, but I also am excited to see him step behind the camera and take full control of his own work. Because I think, I mean, I liked Molly's game a lot. I like trial a lot, but I do agree that he is a little bit inexperienced behind the camera, but I want to see him do more so he can develop that eye. Cause I know he's going to have one. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, the guy has obviously been around, you know, for over 30 years doing, do, doing this stuff, you know, writing and making movies and now he's directing. So yeah, it, w- it would be very cool to see him just keep trying to crank him out. And I always love a guy who can write and direct. Of course, that's, that's the greatest greatest gift you can have as you know a a creator in films so but but Sorkin as he goes along uh he writes the screenplay for Malice which is a movie neither of us have seen yeah uh I I would love to get to it one day uh and I I will I will there will there will come a time when I will see it have you have you heard anything about this movie do you have any interest in it I'm I have an interest in everything and I will one day check this out (laughs) I mean now that I've seen right, most of his right. work, I want to, you know, I want to hit that checklist. I want to knock them all off. So I will watch this at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, uh, you know, for reason, you know, it's not something that a lot of people know about uh, directed by Harold Becker stars, Alec Baldwin, Nicole Kidman, uh, Bill Pullman. And it's just not really like on anything at the moment as far as streaming. And I haven't really ever heard like a word of mouth go around about it. Like the other Sorkin films, but like you said, I want to check all the boxes and, and see everything. Now that's 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 a uh, just a, a year after A Few Good Men, and then the third film he wrote, which I did get to see for the first time about a week ago, is The American President. Yeah, and that's um, you know a lovely film. I'd say it's you know kind of a rom com uh, about President you know Michael Sheen, uh, sorry Michael Douglas, Martin Sheen, and uh, Annette Bening. Uh, are all you know the main characters and Michael Douglas is playing the the president and he's you know falls in love with Annette Benning's character and it's it's quite lovely right it's quite cute and different pace it's not not obviously not my favorite Sorkin but but it is cool to see that he has that in his bag yeah that's the one I unfortunately didn't get to see uh but I have heard good things about it over the years I do like Michael Douglas I like Annette Benning. I like Martin Sheen so yeah, I'll definitely be be checking that one out at some point too. Hell yeah! And then uh, then Sorkin moves to TV, yes, uh, with with Sports Night and The West Wing. Sports Night, I've seen a couple episodes. I I know I'm a huge sports fan, so I should probably check it out at some point. And The West Wing, I've only seen season one. Uh, I just I've I've said it so many times here before. I'm not a huge TV guy. It's hard for me to really get engaged into a television series these days. So, uh, what about you? Uh, the West Wing is one I did. I have not seen. Same reason. Just you know, my time these days is pretty much movie mon- monopolized. But the West Wing is one of those shows that kind of revolutionized television. It was a huge hit. Uh, was a big boost for Sorkin. I think it was a great vehicle for Martin Sheen, and it uh, people still talk about it. They're just like just now they did an election special, like a reunion special on HBO Max. Yeah. So it's yeah. a show that never left the pop culture t- conversation. I don't think I'm, me being a huge history buff. I I'd love to see this show if I had the time. <laughs> that's, that's kind of why I, I remember about four years ago when I first kind of fell in love with Sorkin as a, as a creator and kind of put the pieces together of all these things that he's done. And so I was like, Oh, I'll watch it. And it was just, you know, it's simply not for me. I think, 
I think it is very good. And, you know, Allison Janney is in it. She's so awesome. You know, uh, Bradley Whitford, you know, there's some, there's some great performers in that show, but, but I, I find it to be a, a, a bit repetitive. The season I watched, you know, season one, I've heard, I think from what I've heard, season three and four, the best, like it gets a little bit better in the middle and then kind of tails off, but that is very cool. You got to do that and open up so much. And I forgot to mention studio 60 on the sunset strip, <laughs> another TV series he created. Um, and then after that, he goes back to, to film and Charlie Wilson's war 2007. This is a film. This is a film we brought up uh, way back when uh, for an episode on Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman's another guy that will work with a Sorkin script again with Moneyball, a movie we're going to talk a lot about throughout this episode, Charlie Wilson's war. This is a, this is a good film and it contains a great PSH performance. (laughs) Yeah. That movie is incredibly underrated. It's, such a fun Tom Hanks vehicle. It's a PSH is lights out in it. Um, it's got, it's just got everything. It's a true story. It's a comedy. It's a drama. It's so crazy. You don't believe it. It's yeah, it's great. It's got all the, you know, every, it checks all the Aaron Sorkin boxes. Yeah, exactly. And for him to follow that up with the fucking social network, <laughs> is pretty is pretty bonkers and this is what starts his his oscar run uh he get he gets the win for the social network at the 83rd academy awards rightly so i'd say yeah and this this movie is pretty pretty powerful as time goes on it gets more and more powerful as facebook gets weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> and uh Sor- sorkin just hit something that I don't think he even knew at the time. I don't think he knew that this was going to be as dark, you know, as time goes on that I don't think he knew that Facebook was going to be as dark, you know? And, and then, and then you, uh, uh, what I said earlier about pairing him with a creator, David Fincher, you know, that's, that's a guy who truly believes that society is, is is fucked. And Sor and Sorkin is usually a, a bit hopeful or sees some optimism in something. And, and yikes, that social network, it's like the meeting of two great minds and it just somehow, and then you got the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score, and you got Eisenberg who understands the cadence of the Sorkin script. You got Rooney Mara who understands it. You got Army Hammer who understands it. Uh, you got Andrew Garfield who understands it. Justin Timberlake who understands it. Incredible film. One of the best movies of the decade, I think. Hell yeah, man. It's, it's high praise. Um, I watched it for the second time a few months ago, and I found it just mesmerizing. It's a movie that dra- that draws you in on the promise of a story that destroyed so many friendships. Just a, the creation of something that changed the world and fundamentally changed everybody involved. Again, it's Sorkin finding the magic in the mundane just if it's the ultimate thing you want as a writer right taking that angle finding the angle the exact perspective and and sticking to it yeah you know social network could go off the fucking rails and it could be this ridiculous movie that has no idea what it wants to say but he hones in he hones in on the relationship 
of Zuckerberg and Edward Saverin. He hones in on that, that quite possibly his best paragraph is, is when Andrew Garfield, find, you know, Edward Saverin realizes, oh my God, he just cut me out. Yeah. You know, and then he goes to him and slams his, you know, slams his keyboard and, you know, I'm coming for it all, you know? You fucking do you fucking douchebag. Like Sor- Sorkin for whatever reason, you know, when he's writing that, he some people would be like, oh no, that's not right. And you know, he just he keeps going. This is how people talk, this is how it's gonna be, this is how it's gonna be. And here and there there's something heightened, and then the actors just take it to the next level, you know. Uh yeah, social social network special. Uh I'm CEO bitch, you know, putting that putting that into like an Oscar caliber movie. It's only Sorkin, man. <laughs> Do you think that if Fincher hadn't been the one behind this, it would have gotten the same kind of uh, accolades? No. Oh, I, I think, I think this could have been a horrible movie. I think this could have gone in so many different directions. It could have been, you know, I think uh, another example for Fincher is Zodiac. I think Zodiac could have been really bad. Had he not honed in on something. And he really honed in on Robert Graysmith and Paul Avery, you know, really honed in on them. And he does that with social network, right? Uh, you know, and, you know, David Fincher obviously has an eye and a touch and an influence on his writers and his actors that that's powerful. Very much so. He, like you said earlier, Fincher, his, all of his films kind of represent the worst aspects of society and just a society in complete decline. You know, Fight yeah. Club, Seven, Social Network, The Game, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. These are all films about just fucked up people. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love that the Social Network takes that to the billionaire side of things. We get to see how somebody who is so fucked can rule the world. <laughs> it, it, really, it really is a genius pairing because this is the kind of film that Aaron Sorkin would, would be interested in, right? Oh, I'm going to take this and, you know, craft it and find out you know, these little things about Zuckerberg and put it into a, a format that's really interesting, have people walking and talking. <laughs> <laughs> but but Fincher is like, no, this guy did something evil. And I'm yeah. gonna and I'm gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make the tone that way. It's gonna feel dark right from the get-go. And that's you know, he brings in Trent Reznor and it's, you know, and it's just game over from there. You know, when you get these guys working together, it's crazy. I just love that Sorkin has worked with all kinds of different directors and some of them feel so optimistic and feel, you know, and then the Fincher, the, that one just, it just meshes so well. It really does. It's great. And I'm so happy he took home gold for that. It, it feels right. It really does. It kicks off this decade now that he has three nominations. So let's, let's move on to Moneyball and talk about it a bit before we talk about it a lot later. Uh, he's, you know, he's nominated again. Back to back. This is a year, just a year later, Moneyball comes out. And this is directed by Bennett Miller. And this is definitely a guy who has a way different eye than David Fincher. But Sorkin's script works so fucking well with it. Oh, my God. It's amazing that Moneyball is so engaging and it's a movie about fucking baseball stats and analysis. What the fuck? Like on paper, that sounds like the most boring shit in the world, but you can't look away. It's the most, it's so intense and engaging and just makes you cheer. It's a great movie. It's yeah, it's bloody American. I I can't wait. We're going to keep talking about it uh, here in a little bit. 
the newsroom. Have you seen any of that? I have seen the speech where Jeff Daniels talks about how America is not the greatest country in the world. And if I had the time, that is probably the show I would pick to binge. That's the, I have seen all of that one. Yeah. The New York jets. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Daniels is great in that one. <laughs> Jeff Daniels is a, uh, solid Sorkin actor he's a guy who who gets it who can play political people he can play he can kind of do anything in the political realm whether it be good or bad uh 2015 Steve Jobs (laughs) underrated Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin what a weird you know and then you got Michael Fassbender you know Seth Rogen yeah this movie this movie's super underrated oh yeah very I love that this is not the like the group it ended up being was not the initial planned group. It was supposed to be, I think Christian Bale was supposed to play Steve jobs. And I, in the director's chair, I think I want to say Fincher was considered. I don't remember who was like going to do it before Boyle uh, picked up the reins, but it ended up being Michael Fassbender. And he is so good as Steve jobs, just rattling off. Like he's almost like the confident Zuckerberg like he's the guy who knows he's the smartest guy in the room flaunts it and will fucking hurt you if you say otherwise like he is so arrogant and so ridiculous and I love that they that Sorkin showed that side of Jobs because Steve Jobs is kind of idolized as this guy who like changed the world technologically but nobody really talks about the side of him as a human being which was fucking horrendous yeah, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And that's why we have, you know, film interprets these things for us, right? And kind of retells it. And of course, they're going to have, you know, their little things where they make a little bit more dramatic here and there. But good Lord, you're so right about Michael Fassbender being such a good call. And he's truly one of the you know best actors of our generation. Um, he's incredible. He's a guy we've been able to watch for I can't remember uh, 15 years now we've been able to really, really watch him right in front of us. And the guy's just spectacular. And it's so great to hear him rattle off the Sorkin dialogue, like the line where he's trying to get the computer to come out in time. And he tells Michael, Oh my God, God created the earth in seven days. And Stuhlbarg goes, well, someday you're going to have to tell us how you did it. Yeah. (laughs) Stuhlbarg gets it. Stuhlbarg. He, he really, understands the flow of what's going on, you know, uh, within those, that script and Fassbender, his ability to kind of like, like, you know, to point out again, what you're, you're talking about Steve jobs, his ability to, to just, just play the character. Don't, you're not, you're not acting like you're Steve jobs, you know, and that's, that's the ultimate thing that Fassbender has. It's like, just, just do it, just do it, just do this, be him. Don't be the idea we have of him. And that's probably what the Ashton Kutcher movie was more like, but I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either because I knew that it was going to be insincere and just, you know, stupid. Yeah, because, yeah, he's, he, he's not. You know, people, people really know that, you know, yeah, Wozniak was the coder. Wozniak was the, the guy who was really a genius, you know, when it came to computers. Yeah. And Jobs was just this freakazoid, you know, like salesman guy who just wouldn't ever shut up. Yeah, and thought that his ideas were always the best in the room no matter if it was Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali or Thomas Edison, he thought he was better than them. You know, it was just kind of that way. And that's why Sorkin is the perfect guy to do that, to just kind of tell it how it is. 
Yeah, very true. I love him adapting true stories because he doesn't really take an angle with it. He just shows you what happened. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said earlier, angle, and I think his angle is that. His angle is I'm I'm gonna be transparent and gray and fluid throughout this process. So yeah, and that's that's all you can ask for out of a writer. And I think there's some people who disagree with some of his films, but for the most part, that's that's just how he is. And that brings us to Molly's Game, his directorial debut. Uh, a, a film I just got to watch recently. It's also on Netflix. What, what do you think of this one? This, this is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. A failed Olympic skier who goes on to run the most high stakes illegal poker game in, in the country. That is, that's crazy. That doesn't sound like it happened, but it did. No. And yeah. the story, like Molly Bloom's whole story, the whole thing with player X, who is so very clearly Toby McGuire. It's just, it's such a wild story and just the shit that happens. You don't, you don't believe it. This movie sounds so made up, but it, it really happened. And I can't believe yeah. it. it. It sounds so made up, especially for like, this isn't in some other country. This isn't something foreign. This is right here. You know, this is just some, some lady, like you said, a skier, uh, Jessica Chastain. She's had quite the decade. Uh, I love her style. I love her choices to earlier in the decade coming up to Molly's game. I, I would like to see her in something. I know it's tough times right now, but I would like to see her in something really, uh, and really going for it soon. But uh, you know, uh, you know, tree of life and zero dark 30, those movies, you know, th- those are some uh, interstellar. Those are some very memorable roles and that uh, Molly's game is in there. I do think that Sorkin has, I'm not going to say no idea, but he is quite lost on how to do the back and forth between when he's going to, you know, when he, when she was a child and, you know, then you see Kevin Costner as the dad, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense how it's paced that part of it. But with that said, this is directorial debut. With that said, there are some banger moments between you know, Idris Elba has one moment where he explodes and it's, it is brilliant. And he adds himself onto the long line of people that can do the Sorkin speech. <laughs> uh, and, and Jessica Chastain, Jeremy Strong, he is fucking hilarious. You know, uh, when they're playing the poker games, uh, Michael Sarah, all that stuff is really, really worth it. I, I just, I just think that had someone else been in charge of this directing wise, then it would be a, a better overall product, but at the same time, you want him to get his, you know, his practice and get some repetition. Off the top of your head, who's a director you think would have done Ooh, a good from for Molly's game? That's such a good, you know, you're taking yeah, kind of like a sports angle at the same time, a little bit of criminal, a uh, little bit of crime. Um, wow, that's a great question. You know, I'm actually gonna say. Cause I, cause a lot of it takes place in New York city. I'm going to say the Safdie brothers. Very good choice. I think, I think any New York story, modern movie is okay for them to do. They, I love their pace. I love the uncut gems, good time pace. So I think if Molly's game had that kind of a pace where maybe they honed in a little bit more on just like a, a month of her, and the run of running games. Uh, but, but you want, you get the broad scope of everything when you have Sorkin, you know, 
doing the directing because he wanted to tell the whole story and you have that final moment of you know molly the judge is like fuck this you know i'm dealing with he's like i where i work i love that he says where i work is right next to wall street and these crooks do way worse shit than this so you're good <laughs> he's like 200 hours of uh, community service all right molly have a good day and you're like what the fuck you know and that's the ending of the movie fucking wild <laughs> I've been trying to track down the book for some time now. I, um, I'd love to read this. And uh, Oh, yeah. Fascinating story. For sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely underrated. I don't think a lot of people know about that one. No, that's, you know, that's one that he was nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. And that, so that, that's the three. We've covered those now. Social Network, he won. Moneyball nomination and Molly's Game. And that brings us to his latest uh, input. Uh, in, in the film industry, and that would be Netflix's The Trial of the Chicago 7. We talked a bit about this last week because of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. He's incredible in this movie. Uh, well, how do you feel about this movie now that you've uh, had some time to digest it, process it? Uh, it's been about about three weeks since it came out. I still find it incredibly infuriating. I think that this is going to be the film to beat next year at the Oscars. I think that this is a fantastic look into the sixties and uh, just how insane society was at the time. Cause you know, I don't have any you know knowledge of that era. I wasn't there. And this really goes the extra mile to humanize the revolution. And Sorkin was definitely the guy to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, this movie, this movie has caused quite, quite the stir right it's quite uh, there's there's some people who really don't like it and really don't who really don't like his touch as a director and i've heard you know some of my some of the people that i look up to you know my favorite podcaster sean fantasy does not didn't really didn't really like it too much and i you know i had heard him i heard him say that after i watched it and i i enjoyed it and i'm, I'm not gonna allow and you know whatever whatever's cool to say allow me to you know not enjoy something right this this yeah. movie has ha- has really good performances from sasha uh you know eddie redmayne's going for it sometimes you can hear the accent there but he's going for it john carroll lynch is fucking phenomenal you know uh and and i think as time has gone along franklin gellis steals the show as the judge he is he is why you leave that movie like fuck you hate that guy fuck the man you know uh and it you find out that he was, you know, you know, judged and voted as like incoherent. <laughs> like he couldn't even, you know, he shouldn't even be doing that job. And it's, it is an infuriating story. And Jeremy Strong, again, was great in it. And a lot of the guys in this movie understand the cadence. Yes. Mark, Mark Rylance, you know, they get it. They get what's going on. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, good to see him back. I, I just think it was missing a little umph, And... And, and I did struggle a bit with, you know, the now, now I do in the moment, you know, the, the little, little bit with Fred Hampton, I, I wish there, I wish there would have been a little bit more on that. And maybe that's for a different movie, right? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do, I, I thought Kelvin Harrison looked fucking phenomenal in those, those bits. Uh, between his boy Mateen and I thought those scenes were hilarious when they're talking to each other and the judge is like state your name you know 
those were great. I just wanted a little bit more maybe. And I, I did think it was lacking a little bit of oomph, but man, there are some kick-ass performances in this movie. Well, I see your point, but like you said, that is a story for another movie. Like Fred Hampton, his yeah. part in the story of the, of the Chicago seven is more of a footnote. And I understand not focusing that much on his part of it, but still including it because it was relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And it's, yeah, we're going to get another movie. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get, you know, Judas and the black Messiah next year. And that's going to fucking rock. Yeah. That movie will be, that movie will be sick. So that's, um, that's, that brings us to 2020. That brings us to now with Sorkin. We've talked about his career and I, we've, we've seen a lot of stuff, man. We've, we've got a little ways to go. Uh, what, what, what's the first thing you want to see that you haven't? Um, probably the newsroom. Honestly, I've been wanting to, to check that show out for some time ever since I saw that clip. And I'm like, this is, this is next level. And uh, I love Jeff Daniels to death. So I definitely am, would like to make that a priority. Yeah. I, I think you're going to love, 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 love that show and love that performance from Jeff. Yeah, do do that, do that, and I th- I think you would enjoy uh, the American President. I think you think it's a lovely movie. I wouldn't be surprised if your family's seen it. Seems like a movie that they would like. Yeah, you know, my family, oh, they've seen a lot of cult films, a lot of weird films. It's the straight lace stuff that they tend to miss out on. Weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. Sometimes you miss what's right in front of you, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. They loved Moneyball, so I'll be sure. Like they still haven't seen Trial. So I'm going to try to, you know, get them to sit down and watch some of these movies. Yeah, well, it's on Netflix, you know, uh, Trial's not going anywhere. A lot of Sorkin's work is on there. That's that's kind of how Netflix does it. You know, they try to they roll out the new movie. They'll kind of throw throw a little. Little mix of movies, movies in there for you to watch and and Moneyball's on there. And that's we're we're going to turn our attention to that film. It's a special one. Yes, indeed. Is it? It, be, before before we move on to Moneyball officially, is it your favorite of those of those screenplays of those you know Aaron Sorkin uh, scripts? Is it your favorite? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, it's so difficult. I love the Social Network, obviously, and I love A Few Good Men. Those three, those three are so difficult. But when I watch Moneyball, you know, when I when I rewatched it again, and I've seen it so many damn times, I saw this one in theaters because I, I, you're not a big sports fan. I, I am, but I'm really not a baseball guy. I was when I was a kid, but I'm, I'm really not a baseball guy anymore. It just, just pulls me in like nothing else. I can, I, when I was watching, I was, you know, kind of whatever cleaning or, or something organizing. And I just got caught just kind of standing in the middle of my room, staring at the TV, just standing, not even sitting, not comfortable, just standing all the way until Jonah Hill's in the movie. And you're like, what? I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it, it, it does that. The, the, the score, the direction from Bennett, Brad Pitt, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and, 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 you know, it got, it got six nominations. So we're going to talk about those. I'll let you um, take it from the bottom at six, but no wins. So we're, we're going to have a little, some conversations here. Yes, indeed. Let's start with sound mixing, of all things. Hell yes. (laughs) So we have, for best sound mixing at the 84th Academy Awards, we have War Horse, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Moneyball, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and the winner, Hugo. Um, I dig. I dig it. 
I don't really get why this was up for sound mixing. Um, I, th- I, I think, I think what it is, if this is my theory and I, I'm not sure maybe someone has said this before. I don't know. I think it would have to do with pairing old 2002 baseball commentary footage, whatever it may be, audio with 2010, 2011, you know, like what's going on, you know, it's about a 10 year gap of kind of pairing that. And that's one thing I adore about Uncut Gems and the Safties movie is that they really bring you into 2012 with that, that playoff game between the Celtics and the Sixers. They use actual footage, actual sounds. And here in this movie, they're really trying to make you feel like you're in Oakland 2002. That actually, you know what? That's a good point. That's probably exactly why. That's, that's got to be it. Because, yeah, you look at Warhorse, duh. Transformers, duh. You know, Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, uh, uh, Fincher, to bring him back up. Uh, the movie's bonkers all over the place, and uh, I understand that. And Hugo, I understand it. So Moneyball is definitely kind of the outlier, but it's unique. And I, I'm glad it got a nomination. That's really cool. True, but I think I would, I would give that one to Warhorse, personally. <laughs> oh, for the, for the win? Um, yeah, Warhorse is a good call. I can't do Transformers. Uh, so yeah, Warhorse. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like seeing that piece of shit franchise get anything. Yeah, those are not not for us. <laughs> that takes us to film editing, where we have Moneyball, Hugo, The Descendants, The Artist, and the winner, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, film editing, I think, is a big strength for Moneyball. Um, oh, yeah. Very well edited. It's, piece, like you said, pieced together with that old, old footage. There's times where you can't even tell the difference, which is pretty pretty nuts. It, it's it's kind of bonkers how well they they pair the, the the time and they don't need to do this there's so many sports movies that just don't give a shit they don't care about w- what was going on at that moment in time and what the jerseys actually looked like this movie nails everything everything it really does it's it's such a fun movie like it's so upbeat and just engaging on all levels yeah what what a crazy group man you know hugo and the descendants and the artist you know which was the best picture winner that year the which is so cool right it's the second silent film to ever win best picture winner and we've covered the other one which is wings the first ever winner so cool i love that and one day we'll cover the artist here 1927 to 2011. Those are the two silent films to win Best Picture. That's that's fucking crazy. That's a huge, <laughs> huge gap. Oh, nearly 100 years. That's amazing. Oh, boy. Um, as far as the win, um, I have not seen The Descendants or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, so I'm going to give this one to Moneyball. I, I, I can't argue with that, but I'll, go, I'll stick with Dragon Tattoo. I think that film like a lot of Fincher films, he, he finds guys that can edit, he can edit himself and they always move kind of like nothing else. Yeah. That, that film's pretty incredible. That takes us to best adapted screenplay, which is a loaded category. We have, Oh yeah. Tinker Taylor, soldier spy Moneyball, the Ides of March, Hugo and the winner, the descendants. Now I've only seen Moneyball and Hugo. So I'm going to let you take this away. Cause I know you've seen all of these films. 
Yeah, I have. Uh, Tinker Tailor, man, it, it's a crime that you haven't seen that one yet. I know. Because you, cause, cause you'll adore it. The Yards of March is, is, uh, is pretty good. I think you'll like it, but Tinker Tailor is a different story, right? Uh, Gary Oldman is, is absolutely lights out. That's his first nomination. Pretty incredible that that was his first ever. And then he gets his win for Dark Stower a few years later. But all five of these have something to offer, which is what I love about the screenplay group. It tends to, it tends to do that, right? Yeah. Um, if you look on the other side, I would say it's even more interesting. You have uh, Midnight in Paris, the winner, the artist, Bridesmaids, Margin Call, and A Separation, an Iranian film. Just all over the map, right? And literally, and that's what you like to see. You like to see different kinds of stories written by different kinds of people represented here. Uh, and I'd be, I think it'd be silly of us to not mention Stephen Zalian, who helped Aaron Sorkin um, write Moneyball. Uh, and I, I think to move move past this category without mentioning his name would be kind of silly because Moneyball does not exist without him and Sorkin. Uh, Zalian does not have the um, the same stuff that I love out of a writer, but goddamn, he's good. Uh, I I think Moneyball should have taken this personally, but I'm okay with I'm okay with Descendants. I just overall that film. I like it. I like the performances, but overall, as time has moved on, you know, you're in Hawaii the whole time, but you don't really see any Hawaiian people and there's no Hawaiian people that are prominent and in the movie. It's just George Clooney and Shailene Woodley, you know, and Robert Forster. And you're like, okay, um, I don't know. Where are we again? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like they kind of whited it up, you know, and that, that, that shit tends to happen. But um, I do like Alexander Payne. I love Nat Faxon, Jam Rash, those guys have done some cool stuff uh, in the independent film community. But but yeah, it's got to be Moneyball. Fair enough. And I, I all of those films, the three that I have not seen, have been on my list for years. And I will, I do promise I will get to them. Thankfully, we have a podcast that forces me to watch these movies. So <laughs> one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day, one day for sure. I mean, Tinker Taylor, Gary Oldman, you know, uh, Ides of March, George Clooney, <laughs> Descendants, George Clooney. <laughs> he had a good year. He did. He did. And I, I, I love that. And, you know, Brad Pitt had a pretty good year. We'll get to him here, here soon. Hell yeah. <laughs> so let's go to Best Supporting Actor, which yes. is probably my favorite category because it's always all over the map. It's the always. place where character actors get to shine. Yeah, and when, when you're a dude and you just love – you're a cinephile like us best supporting actor that's that's our that's our place that's our place to go that's where guys like heath ledger can exist <laughs> damn straight and we've got max von Sydow for extremely loud and incredibly close nick nolte for warrior jonah hill for moneyball kenneth Branagh for my week with Marilyn, and the winner christopher Plummer for beginners <laughs> christopher Plummer in his first win in like he had his first nomination in 2009 after like a 60 year career and uh, one in 2010 personally. I, all right. So I have not seen beginners, but I consider that to be a career Oscar. Why is that? Cause he's Christopher Plummer. <laughs> he hasn't yeah. won anything in, in 60 years, but he's really good in it. And, and I don't know who steals it from him. All right. Cause everybody, cause everybody's good. Everybody's good. True. Um, for me personally, I think this was Nick Nolte's moment. I think he is incredible in Warrior. And yes, yeah, I really wish it had gone to him. 
that's my call too, just because, yeah, I wish he had that gold and I think he is like really going for it in that movie. Everyone is. Yeah. And it would have been great to see Jonah Hill win it. He's with, look at these guys. These guys are all old as time. And Jonah Hill is here just like I just did super bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is weird that he's, you know, he's the new blood. It's, it's, it's hilarious. These old timers, you know, like big name guys. You and know what? You know what got him that nomination? What? <laughs> when, he, when he is on the phone and fucking bumps his fist. Yes. <laughs> That's what got him the nom. <laughs> fantastic uh, so um, good i do love kenneth Branagh in my week with Marilyn. playing Lawrence olivier is no uh easy task but leave it to the other big hollywood shakespeare guy to, to pull that off exactly makes sense <laughs> and then i have not seen extremely loud and incredibly close either because i've heard it's a pretty weak movie and i haven't really had the motivation i watched it but i don't remember much of it at all <laughs> there you go <laughs> One, one, one day I'll get another chance. And uh, that takes us to best actor. We have Brad Pitt for Moneyball, Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, George Clooney for The Descendants, Demian Bashir for A Better Life, and the winner, Jean Dujardin for The Artist. Um, hmm. Interesting bunch. I, I did like The Artist. I thought Jean Dujardin was great, but he fucking vanished after that like he did like what he did the monuments men and then he just like well, went back he, to france he he was that swiss banker in wolf of wall street so True. good for him good for him <laughs> that's that's how you follow up you fall he the winner follows up with that performance of wolf of wall street and jonah hill follows it up with his performance in wolf of wall street <laughs> come on come on yeah i don't like when that happens right when you look back and you're like uh, Pitt, Oldman, and Clooney? Could we have just given it to one of those guys? <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt, though. In, in all honesty, h- how the fuck did he not win this? Yeah. And and I'm 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 sh- shout out to all my Tree of Tree of Life fans out there. The dude should have been double nominated. He's the MVP of 2011. Unbelievable in both films, but he's better in Moneyball. What he's doing in Moneyball is what we watch, what we go to. That's what people used to go to watch Robert Redford for. That's what they went to see Robert De Niro do. That's what they went to see Daniel Day-Lewis do. That's what they went to see Leonardo DiCaprio do. And that's what they see Brad Pitt, you know? And he's doing it for two fucking hours as a baseball general manager. Goddamn, should have won the gold. He is, it's such a subdued performance that's just like you can feel the rage and the anger and the pain in this guy over an organization that he believes stole his future. But he works for them, hoping so that he can, you know, interfere and make sure that never happens again to somebody else. But you never see that on his face. He's always, you know, smiling and charming. It's only in his private moments where that anger comes out. And I love that. It's such a layered performance that you really don't get on the first try on the first viewing, but the more you watch it, the more you see that. And this absolutely should have been his his golden moment. And yeah, I I really don't like that he didn't take home the gold for this. Eventually, you know, he did get his statue, but that should have been his second statue. Yeah, and I and you know, 
it's it's great. It's great that he wins Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Obviously, we love that movie. Got to see it together at Draft House. I remember seeing movies. That was great. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's supporting. I want him to win Best Actor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm that way with some of these guys. And I think he's one of those guys who's actually worth th- those accolades. Uh, Brad Pitt, man. Uh, hats off to him. I do think you will love Gary Oldman and Tinker Taylor because you love Gary Oldman. You love his craft. And that's one of his best performances for, for me. I haven't seen them all, but that's one of my one of my favorites. And I definitely think it's better than The Darkest Hour. So I I, I, I encourage you to check that one out soon, man. Um, but, but Pitt... I, we're going to talk more and more about Moneyball, uh, so I guess I'll save it. <laughs> He's just so damn good. He really is. That, so with that, we have Best Picture. We have War Horse, The Tree of Life, Moneyball, Midnight in Paris, Hugo, The Help, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Descendants, and the winner, The Artist. Uh, I don't like this 10 nominees thing. It just feels like they're filling slots. Okay, how about this? Yeah. How about, let's, uh, which ones have you not seen? Just let's start that Okay. Way. Uh, I have not seen The Descendants, Extremely Loud, or The Tree of Life. Okay. So take those three out. Now let's make a group of five. Okay. Uh, Moneyball, War Horse, Midnight, Artist, The Help. I have Oof. a soft spot. I like that movie. Sorry. So which one are we cutting that we've both seen? I cut Hugo, personally. I thought it was good. I thought it was a little strange, a little hard to follow at times, and wasn't. I don't think it really deserved to be so celebrated. I just thought it was okay. That's, I that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So the help has that last spot. So, okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that. And who wins that? Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close, right? Like, hands yeah. down. Fucking, you know, deal or no deal. Deal. Like, it's Moneyball. Come on. Straight up. I mean, it is the best film of that group, hands down. I, 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 yeah, I think, I think so. I don't think it's a particularly strong group of films. Nah. The, the early 2010s kind of did that at the Oscars. But, but man, I, Moneyball, as time has gone along, is hands down the most rewatchable movie of all of these. Not, it's not really even close. Totally. Yeah, I think actually it is the only film of that group that I have seen twice. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I am a sucker. You know, I, The Tree of Life is is really something special. And, and I've seen The Descendants a few times and Midnight in Paris I've seen a few times. That one's just fun as hell. But, uh, but Moneyball, it's any time. If it's on TV, I don't care where it's at. I'm stopping everything I'm doing. It's the definition of rewatchable. The definition. And, and not to mention, I haven't really said this flat out it's probably the best sports movie i've ever fucking seen you know what what from the you know from the past whatever 30 40 years that has this kind of you know this kind of quality this kind of production design and then actually has the legitimate story the legitimate you know acting in it and all that stuff you know i love movies like white men can't jump and this and that but but moneyball is is fucking serious it's a good fucking movie Truly, it truly is. I uh, I wish it hadn't been completely shut out. I wish it had gone home with something. 
Yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. Six nominations and no wins is, is so, so fascinating. I, and I really do think Bennett Miller should have been up for best director. I, I, I have some issues with that guy and how he handled Foxcatcher, but geez, dude, he's got some wicked talent and has it has an eye. And I kind of know when I'm watching his movies, I kind of know where I'm at. I know I'm in his hands and I really like that. And I, I think I would take Scorsese out and put him in. Yeah. You know what? I, I would take Woody Allen out because as, as much as Hugo, either, I, yeah, yeah, either one, either one. I think Scorsese's direction on Hugo is, is unreal. I think he did a great job on that production. Midnight in Paris is a great story, but I don't see anything in Woody Allen's directing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel that. I feel that Woody, Woody Allen, it's probably just like a, Oh, here you go. Yeah. For, for like 50 fucking years, he's, he's been like, Oh, Woody Allen wrote something better. Give him a nomination. <laughs> yeah. He has, he has something like 16 writing nominations at the Oscars. Come on, man. He's, He's okay. I think he's good, but I don't think he should be revered as this legend. We'll we'll see. There's some stuff I would like to see first before, you know, I haven't seen Hannah and her sisters, you know, there's some big, there's some big stuff I would like to see before I can really, but I'm with you as far from what I've seen so far, any hall and purple rose of Cairo and midnight in Paris in these films, they're good and they're entertaining, but they're not best picture and best director. And you know, this, that kind of stuff. They're good food. They're good films. Yeah, fair enough. But Woody Allen is a hefty, hefty subject for another episode. <laughs> yes, he will He will get his own. He'll get his own whatever four fucking parts or something, or, or I don't even know how we'll do that. Jesus Christ. Uh, Sorkin, Sorkin's a little easier, right? And obviously, we love Moneyball. Obviously. Yes, indeed. You, you stated that it's probably your, you know, it's your favorite Sorkin script. It's definitely in my top three. And now what I want to do is give some fucking awards to that movie. So uh, if, if any of you guys are listening for the first time, what we're going to do here is give some awards for Moneyball, uh, four awards, the Tarantino for the best line slash quote, uh, the Ennio Morricone award for the best music moment, or it could be a needle drop or, you know, something that has to do with music. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman award, otherwise known as the PSH for the best performance of the movie. And then the Roger Deakins award or the Deakins. Uh, and that's, you know, for what we see as the best scene overall or best moment of the movie. So, Connor, I'm going to let you start with your Tarantino. What do you got? I have two for my best line. I, well, you could say the whole goddamn movie, you know? <laughs> you could. You could. But I had to, you know, simplify. Yes, <laughs> so. yes. I, I chose one. I don't know how. It took me about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we have. So, first up, it's when their first, when practice first starts. And Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt are watching practice and Brad Pitt just goes to Jonah Hill and goes, this better work. And he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I fucking laughed my ass off for like five minutes. That was fantastic. Because <laughs> Brad Pitt does the, yeah, like the, he like hits his arm, you know? And it's such a uncle or whatever, just like, ah, you know, little fucker. And you don't know if they're kidding or not. Oh shit! Yeah, and Jonah Hill handles it so well. I love I love guys that can react to to that shit. Can you imagine? You know, and you're you're whatever. I think Jonah Hill was about 30, 30 at that time in his mid thirties, and you're this is that's Brad Pitt saying that to you. <laughs> I get the you know what I get the vibe that Brad Pitt is probably pretty easy to work with. hundred uh, percent. This yeah. guy is this guy's 
uber good when it's him and one other dude on the screen. So good at it. He's so, so, so good at supporting, leading, supporting, leading, supporting. He's able to do it with Christoph Waltz and Bastards. You know, he's able to do it with Edward Norton, Fight Club. This guy, yeah, this guy can do it all. Yeah. Such, that's such a good moment of this movie. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that, was, that was great. And then my other line was a bit more serious. Um, it's when the, uh, the baseball, one of the baseball scouts confronts Billy Bean and is like, look, this ain't going to work. This is how we've always done it. Why are you changing the game? And Billy just goes, adapt or die, and claps. Bingo, right there. That's his whole philosophy. That sums up exactly who he is as a person. It sums up his whole plan with the movie. Boom. So good. Adapt or die. Oh, God, I love it. That would be a sick t-shirt. <laughs> Hell yeah, it would. Uh, uh, on the back, it just says, fucking Billy Bean. <laughs> uh, man, that's great. Great. Those are great lines to, to, to get a Tarantino. Uh, mine's a little bit longer of a line. But it's, it's when they're in the room, all of the scouts, and they're just la, 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 la. And, and one of them says, now you guys are full of it. Artie's right. This guy's got an attitude, and attitude is good. It's the kind of guy who walks into a room and his dick has already been there for two minutes. <laughs> Great line. Great line. <laughs> Sorkin, you know, um, he has he has that that ability, right? To kind of draw draw this sentence out, simple, 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 and then bam, you know, hits you with this, hits you with either whoa, fuck, that changes the movie, or goddamn, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, and he he does it a lot in Trailer Chicago Seven, a lot. Sasha Baron Cohen's character does it over and over. That's kind of his trope. Like he's serious than not, and serious than not. And I, I kind of adore that. I'm kind of a sucker for it when the tone can change like that because of his script and these guys, I don't know who they all are, the actors, but they're fucking incredible. <laughs> well, a lot of them aren't actors. A lot of them were they're scouts, right? Baseball scouts. Yeah. Yeah. There's they're actual scouts. That's what I read that. And I was like, no way. Like they're perfect. These guys, it's, it really is as dumb as it sounds. It's almost as if they didn't know a camera was in the room. <laughs> But obviously you do fucking Brad Pitt's talking to you and telling you, no, he gets on base. So, of course, and I almost gave my Tarantino that he gets on base because <laughs> that's that's the best. And now when I watch baseball, I'll be like, oh, does that guy get on base? <laughs> you know, oh, I love it. This this movie has a lot of a lot of great quotes. I think Peter Brand, when he when Jonah Hill's character, they go to the garage, right? And, and he's, he's explaining, explaining to him, you know, about Johnny Damon. I love when he's talking to him about Johnny Damon. The Boston Red Sox see $7.5 million a year. I see an imperfect understanding of where runs come from. Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> now I care about baseball, you know? I, whoa, yeah. you, you're, you're making this accessible and like I can touch it. Like I'm a part of this algorithm. And every time I watch this two-hour movie, I feel like I'm, I'm in it, like I'm a part of the team. Like I'm with Brad and Jonah. Let's do this. Let's find these guys. Let's go scout some baseball players. It's, a, it's incredible. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. All right. So what do you got for your Morricone Award? Uh, this one was really tough. 
I, I'll just go ahead and say it. I think the moment that Jonah Hill gets brought from when Peter Brand gets brought from the Indians to the Oakland athletics. And when he shows up to the Oakland Coliseum, there's this, I sent it to you. It's this subtle, slight, beautiful piece. That's about two minutes long, you know, and it, it just, it keeps the tempo going. Jonah Hill's walking into the stadium, like, Oh, here's my new job. And, and then he starts kind of breaking down these 40, no, 51. He lies 47. I don't know why I said that is 51. He does these, you know, player profiles and he starts kind of showing him about, look at all this, look at these things, look at out of all the players. I think there's a 25 man roster that we can make a championship team, you know, and the music is just subtle and slight and keeps the tempo going behind these two guys who are acting out of their minds. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. Good choice. Good choice. It was tough to find a, mu- a musical moment in this movie. because Music is very subtle in this film. Yes. Yes. But the one that I went with is the score that's playing over the montage of Billy teaching the players about oh. the process. Oh man. As he's talking to each one of them about their, you know, what they have, what he expects of them, their strengths, their weaknesses, like Billy getting to know the team, Billy be, like taking charge of this and leading. And it's yes. great. I pay you to get on first, not get thrown out at second. <laughs> oh, dude, Brad Pitt's lights out in that montage. Holy shit. <laughs> that, that's Bennett Miller understands in that moment. All right, let's, let's progress it a little bit here. A baseball season, an MLB season, is 162 games. So in a, in, in a film format, you got you to gotta speed that up a bit, right? You know, you got to make it kind of episodic, and that's exactly what they do. Oh, that's such a great bit. And that you're right. It is hard to find an exact moment of like, whoa, this is kind of blowing me away because it's subtlety. This movie is built off subtlety and kind of rubbing off one another. And it just kind of that energy stays even keeled. It's beautiful. I could have also picked the final scene where he plays the song that his daughter recorded for him because that's just heartbreaking. Oh, I can't even. Yeah, I can't even. You especially, I figured. Was I can't. going to hit you hard. Uh, yeah, that's why I, I jumped over it because... I'll start crying. You know, it's like, oof. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough him hearing it. But before when he's like, can you play that for your dad? You know, it's like, oof. <laughs> it's crazy because you, you understand like um, the desire to have them do something in front of you. And I, I want to witness this. I know you do this on your own, but I want to witness it. Cause I'm proud and I want to be proud. And that, ooh, that moment is, it's almost, yeah, it was almost like, I'm going to leave that out <laughs> because that, that's tough. She kind of, she kind of destroys me. Um, I watch, I watch that on YouTube sometimes, just that scene. Like when they're, when they go to get the guitars, that, oh, that scene is spectacular. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. I knew you were, yeah, I knew you'd connect with that. So, well, that's, that's one of Sorkin's thing. He, you know, he's a, he's a father of a daughter and he puts that in his movies sometimes where it'll be kind of like a touch that he has uh, kind of humanize it, you know, and really, really make you feel for this, for these characters. And in Brad Pitt's case, you know, in Billy Bean's case, when he's talking to Robin Wright and fucking Spike Jones, you know, you, you really are on his side. You really are. You're like, I'm on the dad's side. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's uh, a conversation her parents will have. Thanks. 
Like, <laughs> feel that. And, and Spike <laughs> Jones doesn't know how to say the players' names that he just lost. J- calls him like Jamboni or something. <laughs> yeah, Jason Jamboni. J- Jambi. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hilarious. I love that Spike Jones is in this. Yeah. Didn't know that was Spike Jones. Yeah. Yeah. That's you did awesome. It? That's the guy that. who directed her. Unreal. <laughs> Wonderful. I I love movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. That's why we've been doing this for you know almost two years. God damn. That's that puts things in perspective. More on that later. <laughs> so the PSH award, which is ironic considering he's in this movie. Um, I think I'm, it's tough to go anybody but Pitt here. Not even close. It, this is going to happen sometimes, right? Where a guy just takes over, and that's that's what's happening here. Everybody around him is great. Nothing you can do about it. But when the main character is flipping tables over, and then going into the locker room and saying, <laughs> "That's what that's what losing sounds like." Gen- genius, you know this? Yeah, he's he's the best. But PSH, whoa, holy shit, what a performance. He, oh, my God. He, he, he disappears, dude. How does he do that shit? Every time he goes bald, he puts the baseball cap on, all of a sudden, I, he could be the manager of any fucking team. I, I believe it. <laughs> it is amazing. I don't get it. I don't get it. And he doesn't <laughs> – I don't know if he's fat or if he's skinny or <laughs> – Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is not human, you know? The guy – the guy gave us so much of his soul in his in his craft. And this this movie, he doesn't need to do that. <laughs> Philip Seymour He's, Hoffman could have in his career, he could have convinced me at like he could have played Batman, not lost any weight for the role and just been 2011 Philip Seymour Hoffman and I wouldn't have doubted his performance for a second. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It is amazing uh, what he was capable man, of. The man, the man, yeah, the man was, was, was fucking gifted. There's a reason it's named after him. But I, I, yeah, I, I think he's great. I think he's great like everybody else, but you're right. It's got to go to Pitt. Which brings us to the Deacons Award. Uh, what do you got? What do you got, Connor? What's your favorite scene of this whole movie? That's what losing sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> that is my, fi- that's such a just mic drop of a scene. You know, why are you celebrating? Like, Lose is losing fun. That whole bit is so great. Oh, fucking and hell. It, change, it, it changes the movie. It changes the film. That's when he decides I, I have to make some changes. Yeah. And I, I have to start kind of mingling with the players a little bit, whether it be for good or bad. I have to change my approach and they have to change theirs. Changes the whole movie. Exactly. Cause you know, at that point they're a fucking joke, you know, yeah. Billy Bean has, Use this algorithm to craft a team that is no is going absolutely nowhere. He's the laughing stock of the MLB, and this team is acting like it's just you know business as usual. And he's like, "No, my fucking job's on the line. My reputation's on the line. Your reputation's on the line. We're gonna be serious about this shit." <laughs> and yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 incredible because he he breaks a stereo, breaks a bat, makes Jeremy Jomley look like an idiot. It's one. Yeah, it's great. I love that scene. It totally changes the tempo and it changes his character. Billy Bean changes in that moment. Uh, that's a great call. I wrote down a few uh, and that was one of them. But but the one I chose was uh, whenever they go on the 20 game win streak 
and Peter and Billy are sitting with each other. I, this is this is my sports fandom coming out because I I get this, and it explains the movie and explains what's great about filmmaking. This 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 part when Billy tells Peter that it does not matter unless we win the series. That's that's so fucking true. Who the fuck talks about the Oakland Athletics of 2002 until Moneyball comes out? You know, no one gives a shit because you lost in the playoffs. You didn't make it. You didn't win. The Golden State Warriors in 2015, 2016, they win 73 games and lose nine. Record. I don't know if a team will ever do that again. And they passed the Bulls record with fucking Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. That team went 72 and 10, the Bulls team, but they won the championship. The Warriors did not win the championship. So nobody fucking cares. You know, nobody cares unless you get that. You have to be the last thing people remember. And Billy Bean knew that. And he knew that. And he knew that. And he still, still kept at it, still kept at it. Turns down the goddamn Red Sox offer, uh, which is hilarious because now in real life, he actually works for the Red Sox. But at the time, but at the time, he turns it down. He turns down $12 million, you know, uh, uh, an awesome salary, uh, uh, incredible contract for, for, for a general manager in baseball at the time and with the team that was about to win the World Series in 2004, the Red Sox. So I just, it means so much that Billy Bean right there in that time is like, we, we, we got to keep winning. It just does not matter. Like you have to, you have to sustain excellence or else people will get distracted or won't care. You have to be you have to be great all the time, you know. Uh, teams that don't win championships and just lose in the playoffs over and over just get forgotten. There's no nuance. There's no context, and that's that's just sports. That's how sports. That's how they go. Uh, and I just I love that he realizes that in that moment. And Peter Brand is like, "Fuck, he's right." <laughs> it's very true too, because like I don't know shit about baseball, but I knew that the Red Sox won the series in '04. I knew about that win. So yeah, yeah. you're totally right. It's a totally accurate thing. And I think that applies to a lot of different things. Like, you know, that's why everybody still talks about, you know, Thomas Edison's light bulb, but nobody really talked about, you know, Tesla's innovations until like recently when people started finally unearthing that shit. Nobody cares about the guy in second place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and with, with, with art, with like, you know, movies and, and music, it can happen where, a guy wrote something or did something that was great. And we don't realize it till years later, you know, Moby Dick, the guy's dead for like a hundred years before people realize this is a genius book. And he, the, the guy doesn't see anything out of it. Dude. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he never knew that people loved his book. Like, you know, that shit happens in, in, in art. And then it's, it goes hand in hand with sports. People just, people just forget until it's convenient for them. You know? Yeah. Mozart died poor and you know penniless in a pauper's grave we don't even know where his body is yeah jesus it's it is crazy but it's, it's totally right yeah it's just it's just the way it is i, I love the two scenes we chose man uh, so good of course uh you know my emotion shows with the, the, the scene with the daughter and the the, the the guitar store is is really something else and and completely out of left field in the movie right you're watching these dudes talk about baseball nonstop. And then out of nowhere, there's just this sweet angel like voice singing to her dad. And that moment is, is pretty special. 
It is, and it's a great way to cap off a fairly optimistic and uplifting movie. Yeah, and I love how in the credits, you know, you're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. I love that. He's just kind of smiling. Brad Pitt, goddamn, what a great-looking son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I want some of whatever he's drinking on a daily basis because that man hasn't aged since 1993 it's fucking yeah curious case of benjamin button is uh is real life for him yeah he was the perfect cast for that yeah goddamn oh beautiful (laughs) um yeah moneyball i give it a nine yeah i i give it a 10 i obviously adore it you have obviously have a soft spot for it and we'll be rewatching it forever here at filmgasm. Um, I, Aaron Sorkin is just, just someone that is uber important. And if you want a place to go to start right with like the Oscars, especially recently, I think he's a great place because a lot of his stuff is on Netflix and, and it's very entertaining. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to, you know, I, I think it can kind of, you know, appeal to all kinds of people. Um, I do wish he would um, tackle some more stories that aren't just centered around white people, but that's his, that's kind of his lane. That's kind of what he does. And he kind of sticks to, you know, workplace business place type stories. And uh, you know, I, I, I think the guy has a lot of stuff ahead of him. You know, he's, he's almost 60 years old and I I think he's got a lot left in the tank. Um, He's overcome serious drug addiction, right? He's been sober for like 10 years now and, uh, or no, it's been longer than that because sometime in the early 2000s, he, he he had an issue where he got caught with a bunch of stuff at the airport. Like he had mushrooms and weed and cocaine and had to go to rehab and all this stuff happened to him, you know, and he's overcome that and stayed, stayed with it, kind of stayed in his, you know, as far as working, he stayed stuck with it. And I, I really appreciate that and res- respect it. But uh, as as far as his work goes, it's yeah, it's it's pretty awesome stuff, and I, I highly suggest people go down that road if they can. And Netflix is a good place to start. Hell yeah, you can get Moneyball, Molly's Game, and Trial of the Chicago Seven on Netflix. Exactly, and that's a good Charlie one, two, Wilson's three, four, too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Killer, and I think The West Wing too. Is that still on there? Oh, duh. Yeah, that whole series is on. Yeah, Netflix. We said that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can really you can get really lost like a whole weekend with Sorkin just on Netflix. So go ahead and do that. Fuck yeah. Uh, with that, let's take a look at what happened this week in film. Yes, sir. It's been a hefty week as it often no, is. No kidding. And also there's been an election going on. So it's yeah. uh just been just been a long ass week altogether. Recording this on Friday, November sixth, and we still don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so this sure this come yeah, this coming out on Sunday. So you would think by then. <laughs> so yeah, who, who knows if you're listening to this, we, we, we might have a, a new president. I'm pretty, pretty certain we're going to, it's, it's looking nice. It, it's looking that way. Yeah. <laughs> we needed a win this year, man. Some, we needed some. Good news. <laughs> uh. Anyway, uh, I'll start light. Cause this was some hefty shit this year, this week. Um, they've announced a prequel to the 2009 horror film Orphan is in the works <coughs> with actress Isabel Furman returning as Esther, which is interesting because she's an adult now. <laughs> so I don't really know uh, how it work. <laughs> yeah. Why? What? 
doesn't make sense. Horror movies, man. You know? Yeah. Who, yeah. who the fuck knows? <laughs> <laughs> this was inevitable. Death in the Nile and Free Guy have both been postponed to 2021. They were supposed to have December releases. Ain't happening no more. Um, yeah. We'll see these eventually. You know what? A Biden win means more focus on the virus and shit will get solved quicker. So there you go. We'll go to the movies next year. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. This pissed me off so much. Johnny Depp has been forced to resign from the role of Grindelwald in Fantastic Beast 3. Warner Brothers has kicked him out. Really? Yeah. After the whole wife beater accusation shit that Amber Heard has been caught lying about many times. Ezra Miller is on video choking a woman, but Johnny Depp is the one who gets kicked out of Fantastic Beasts. And Amber Heard still gets to be an Aquaman too. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Ah, uh, double standards. Yeah, you know. Shit, shit's frustrating. Frustrating as hell. I, I don't know. And the, and really, in that in that case, you would think it'd be surefire the other way around. But I don't know. Yeah, it's infuriating. I mean, he's had so many character witnesses back him up. He's had evidence of her. Like he's had her on tape threatening him and actively admitting lying about all this shit. What more do they need? My God. Uh, I, Maybe one more shitty performance from Amber. Maybe one more. And they've already got like 12. So maybe one more will do the trick. I don't just want her to stop making movies. Like I want her to go to prison for assault. <laughs> like she, yeah, she attacked him for Christ's sake. Ugh. Ah! <laughs> this whole story, I've just been so fucking pissed off since this all came out. It's because I like Johnny Depp and I know he's not this kind of person. But he's been demonized by this horrific shit, and now his career is over. So yeah, that that blows. Yeah. Ugh. Well, moving on before I bust a fucking blood vessel. Um, <laughs> this was a bummer. Elsa Raven, the actress known as the Save the Clock Tower Lady from Back to the Future, has died at ninety-one years old. She is the one who effectively, if you trace everything back, she's the one who saved Marty's life in the past. Because if he had yeah. never gotten that flyer, he would have been stuck in 1955. So, oh, man. Yeah, the clock blocking worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's 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 sad, though, man. You know, when you see, for, for you, you know, and anyone listening, you know, that's, that's Connor's favorite film, right? So anyone that's a part of that, that's, that's, that's devastating. You know how I found out? I saw a picture on Facebook, a post that said back to the future star dead and a fucking picture of Michael J. Fox. I was like, no. And then I clicked on it. And I'm like, it's the save the clock tower lady. You sons of bitches. Yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, uh, I was like, my heart leapt into my throat and I was like, no God, no. And then, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Assholes. <laughs> and then fucking dickheads. <laughs> And finally, on a sad note, uh, veteran character actor, Academy Award winning actor, Sir Sean Connery, has passed away at 90 years old of an undisclosed illness, died peacefully in his sleep. And God, we lost Black Panther and James Bond this year. This, is, this year is just a constant kick in the fucking balls. Uh, 
<sighs> very tough. Very tough. Which gives us reason to talk about him on Filmgasm, right? Yeah, next week uh, we're, we're tackling Dr. No. Going to talk about his Bond legacy, some of his uh, favorite roles of ours. Bittersweet, yeah. but you know he, he lived a hell of a life, lived, had a hell of a career, one of the most respected N- actors. 90. Yeah. 90. Held on. Retired on his own terms, said, fuck this shit, went to the Bahamas, never looked back. And yeah, and and that's that's like a James Bond thing to do. Like, I, I'm I'm gonna go hang out in the Bahamas till I die. Like, that's what that's what Bond would do. You know, this guy, <laughs> ninety years is nothing to regret, right? If you if you truly were here and, and present, and it seems like he was, and has this unbelievable career. What what I love about him most is that he was not afraid to be in any movie. He wasn't afraid to. I'll, I'll be the guy who's going to lift this film up, you know, from maybe some cheese to some gold, you know, I'll be in the rock. I'll be in Indiana Jones. I'll be in red, you know, I'll be in, I'll be in anything. I'll, I, I, I love guys like that. And from what I've seen, you know, uh, him and Daniel Craig are just, the, they're, they're the best bonds, you know? And I think you got to give it to, give it to Sean Connery for that. He's, he's the king. You know what's weird? Earlier this year, I, I had a feeling we were going to lose him. It just it's... Yeah, well, I, I thought about a lot of guys, right? You know, you, you think about COVID and you, you just get really scared of it. And then just old people and yeah, you, you 90. I, you know, that's a long time. I don't even know if I want to go that long. That's a long ass time. I know I don't. I want to clock out at like 75 on my own terms. Clock out. I love I'm gonna, that. I'm going to do just like a shit ton of drugs. <laughs> And just live it up and then hopefully, you know, go out on my own terms at that point. Because I figure like at 75, I've done everything I'm going to want to do. So fuck it. <laughs> but that's just my philosophy. I don't, yeah, we'll see. No. That's, the be- that's the beautiful thing. The, the wonderful thing about life that I, that I love about it, that I've grown to love about it, is the uncertainty. Is the, you know... Well, maybe when I'm 75, I have great grandkids that I want to hang out with. You know, you just like fucking life is at times seems, you know, the world seems small, but for the most part, this shit is unpredictable as hell. You know, uh, the day to day stuff, the little things that happen to you, what the fuck, you know, and you just have no idea where you're going to be. But I, from where I'm at right now at 25, I'm with you. <laughs> I, you know, my, my grandparents are both in their early seventies and they're, you know, healthier than they've ever been. They're spry. They do stuff. all the time. And so, they, they genuinely have a, you know, when I'm around them, they have an energy and an influence on me. And that's, that's worth them living and being around and always, always being present. And that would, that, that'd be pretty fucking cool to be. Yeah. Someone who's in their seventies, who can have all this life to talk about. All right. I'm going to amend my original statement. So when I get to my elderly years, if I start feeling dementia kicking in or I am diagnosed yes. with something terminal, all bets are off and do whatever the fuck I want. Yes. Okay. That's a great way of putting it. Dementia. Yeah. Yes. Those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Deal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do like just wacko shit. I'm going to try to rob a museum. Like I'm going to do crazy shit <laughs> and then just say, I'm old. I'm, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Ro- rob a museum, but rob like really something really random. Yeah. I'll rob the the horse and buggy museum near my house. <laughs> That's perfect. My high school field trip was there. God damn. But um, yeah, they'll play this in court 
be like, so when you were 25, you uh, you planned this, didn't you? <laughs> uh, what? Oh, well, yeah. Rest in peace, Sean Connery is where that was all going. And um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to miss you. Uh, thanks for your contribution to film. And we'll have more on Sean Connery next week on Filmgasm. What are we doing next week on Oscar Sunday? Uh, next week, you know, we're going to go all the way to Japan to hang out with our buddy Akira Kurosawa and watch some of his 1950s gems. Some would call them masterpieces. The episode will be centered around Rashomon from 1950, but we will also watch Seven Samurai and The Hidden Fortress. Uh, his 1950s run is sort of unprecedented. Uh, had a huge, huge influence on the Western uh, part of culture yeah. and kind of was, kind of was disliked and, and just misunderstood in Japan. And I, I'm wicked excited to go into these films because they're Oscar nominated in different categories, whether they be costume or best foreign or honorary awards. Akira Kurosawa has nominations. Hell yeah. And I'm just going to say this and I'll provide context next week. Clint Eastwood would not have a career without Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. Dr. No next week on Filmgasm. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next Sunday.